0: Okay, we're going to look at uh, another passage as well, uh, briefly, Uh, we're going to base our thoughts on this passage from Genesis chapter 1, a very well-known passage to us. Uh, Thomas mentioned the significance of some chapters, the top 10 chapters in the Old Testament this morning. This is one of them, Genesis 1, and we're just going to read verses uh, 26 to 28 of Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so we're, good. we're beginning, a, a, as Thomas mentioned this morning, we're giving a, a theme this evening on the image of God and how that impacts on the way we think. Uh, what, uh, as as we, we look for it to help our understanding of God's Word and what it says about himself and ourselves how it affects your worldview, and mine as Christians. We have a worldview, and we want it to be molded and based on uh, our understanding of God and our understanding of Christ and of His place. But also, I hope it will help us understand the worldview of other people who are not Christians and how we respond to them. So, how you respond to them in your day life and how I respond to them. And I guarantee that as we are being transformed by the Spirit, we will find our our, uh, our assumptions being challenged every day, and uh, that we will be moved to be transformed by Him. So, we're going to look uh, at the image of God. It's going to be our kind of our foundation, our base point of thinking, uh, and how it helps us to think about some of the hot topics uh, that we find ourselves faced with today. Today, so, we want to be theological, but we also want to be practical. So, we want to bring our, our knowledge of God into our everyday lives. Um, so, uh, we hope at, at a fairly basic level or uh, a fairly shallow level, but nonetheless, I hope it will challenge you to think a little bit. We're going to touch on things like human dignity and respect and equality and family and community and sex and gender and the arts and social media and individual rights and and some of these issues, and then we'll finish off with a question time at the end of the six or seven weeks. So, today's really just, this evening's just an introduction, and uh, it's an introduction into uh, us being made uh, in the image of God, and then being renewed in the image of God as Christians. And we saw that in uh, the verses we read in Genesis, that man and woman are made in the image of God. It's a huge subject. It's one we've looked at quite a lot at, in different ways in the church. But it's going to be foundational for this series and for what we're thinking about. I hope we'll come back to it each week. And the theme has been, No Ordinary People. That's the theme. Now, that's, that's taken from C.S. Lewis, really. And there's a great quote that I want to begin with. I'm sure you know it. I just think it's a marvelous quote. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Uh, Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is to immortals whom we joke with, we work with, we marry, we snub, we exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean that we are to be perpetually solemn we must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And really, that, that's what what C.S. Lewis is trying to speak about. He's trying to remind us that every day, every, every moment of day when we're with people, we're with people who are made in the image of God. And that should uh, be hugely significant for the way we treat them uh, in our lives. Now, there's been th- theological reams written about the image of God, uh, the image and likeness of what, what it means for human beings to be in the image of God, what constitutes uh, it in humans, and what, how it defines us as been different from the rest of creation. Uh, And we're only going to touch on one or two uh, introductory thoughts of that this evening. But the reality is we're not simply human apes. And that immediately sets us apart from the foundational philosophical thinking of the world in which we live. It sets us at odds with secular understanding of humanity. However, what I want us also to do is to find common ground in our dealings with people, in our uh, interactions with people, rather than simply blasting down uh, on uh, the presuppositions or the thinkings that people have. Because there is common ground, and it's important common ground. Even if it's shadowy, even if it's broken, it's important that we connect with people and point them to the God that we believe they are accountable to. So, To be made in the image of God, what is it? Well, I think part of it is it 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 means to know God and to be known. In other words, I think communication with God is an important part of being made in God's image. Did you notice in verse you may or may not have noticed in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, at no other point in creation does God speak to that creation personally. Everything else, He just speaks. It just says He spoke to the animals. He spoke to the sun and the moon, and He declared. But it says specifically to humanity, He spoke to them. And there's a a gentle recognition there that is outplayed throughout the chapter that the relationship between mankind and, and God is one of uh, uh, is one of relationship, of communication, of love, of belonging, and indeed of worship, the created with the Creator. So, we were created in His image to be like Him uh, and to communicate with Him because there was a a, a closeness because of the image. B- but I also think it, it also means um, to be, to image God, not only in terms of relating to him in in a relationship of love uh, different from the animals, but also to be like him in a way that's different. Uh, Mankind, man and woman together in his image, the centrality of community as reflecting his image, of love expressed between man and woman uh, reflecting his image, a diversity and yet a commonality between the sexes and uh, a righteousness in that community of relationship in perfection, uh, reflecting God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and Trinity. It's an interesting verse in Genesis 5-3. I haven't asked the guys at the back, but maybe you can put up the slides. Genesis 5-3. It's very interesting. Uh, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own image, in his uh, own—sorry, in his likeness, uh, in his own image— and he named him Seth. There's that amazing simple link between these two words. It's the same two words that are used in Genesis 1. And I think God is just reminding us that there's a family likeness, not just in looks, but in character, as there would be with Seth and his dad. And there's that sense in which, you know, everyone writes tremendously deep and uh, technical and theological things of what it means to be made in God's image. But in some, in some ways, it's simply that divine imprint, that fatherly imprint, like Father, like Son, that we are like God uh, because He's our heavenly Father. There's a divine imprint on us, uh, whether it be our morality, our knowledge of good and evil, our self-consciousness, our creative genius, inventiveness, progress, development. Communic- whatever it happens to be that sets us apart. It's to be like God. So, it's uh, that recognition of uh, knowing God and being known of God, to be like God, but also to serve God. Being in the image of God was to uh, be ambassadors for God and serve Him as regents, as stewards of the world. You know, he says that in these verses, you know, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves in the earth. There was this reflection of, of being uh, vice rulers, as it were, of the universe. God gave us that authority over creation to love and protect it in the same way that uh, he loved and protected humanity. We're to care for the world and the environment and the animal world, inhabit and develop uh, and create cities and create communities, but do it in a way that is sympathetic with the world that He has given us with love and responsibility. That is the image, a, a quick rundown, potentially, of the image of God uh, that we were created to reflect in our lives. Now, we know that humanity's choice from the very beginning uh, brutally disfigured that image. We know that, don't we? That's the, tra- that's the tragedy of sin entering the world, is that that image was horribly distorted. So, as humanity, and, uh, and we as part of humanity, have chosen to, uh, chose to replace God, to take God out of the picture, uh, and undergo a, re- undergo a rebrand of who we are and what we are, out with the old, in with the new. God is left out of the picture. Instead of being image bearers, we become image makers. Instead of being those who reflect God in our lives, humanity deposes God from our lives. Uh, Rather than accepting that we are created and created in His image, we create our own gods, and we create our own image. We we reimagine ourselves. Isn't that what society is so often doing? Reimagining what it means to be human. We see it all the time just now. And we refocus our worship on self-made images rather than on the living God. Idols. And very often that same word for image that's used in Genesis 1 is used throughout the Old Testament, not exclusively, but often of idols other images that are to replace God. And often we do that with ourselves at the very center rather than God at the center. And that is the deception, and that is the brutality, and that is uh, the lie of sin that has broken uh, God's image. And the outworking of that is manifold. Obviously, we recognize that. But it's Maybe two important things, pride and shame. Turning our backs on God and and being image bearers of God has introduced pride and shame. Sin uh, makes us a caricature of what we should be. You know, uh, the powers of hell laugh and mock at what they see as we a, a caricature of what we ought to be. We become independent of God and therefore pick and choose our morality. We enjoy God's gifts and His mercy on humanity, but we despise His lordship. Humanity does. Pride uh, makes us take credit for who we are, for the gifts that we receive, for the people that we are, and we become selfish and independent because of that. And yet, along with that pride in the human condition uh, is an inescapable expression of shame and guilt and a, f- a wrong fear of God that, we, that humanity deep down knows exists. And yet, within that pride and shame in humanity, we remind ourselves that there is great, there's a great marvel in being a human being. And uh, every individual you come across in your life, and I come across in mine, is a wonder. And we should remember that, because the image of God, however tainted, remains and is there and should never leave us and uh, should uh, never—we should always remember it in our dealings with other people. So, there's this there's this individual sense in which pride and shame come into our experience, yet we are to value every single individual. We'll look at one or two texts about that in a wee while. But also, uh, sin has brought in the disfigurement of community. We recognize that if, if part of being God's image is being united in community. So, uh, the destruction of that image through sin is the individualization of of society, where we replace God and community with our own idols, and relationships change. So, relationships become primarily transactional. What can I get from them? What can I get from somebody else? Uh, Often is the case where jealousy comes to uh, reside in relationships, where there's covetousness, where we guard our love and keep it from some and give it to others, where there's morality is a battleground for who decides what is right, where there's tension between the sexes. We, we see that, don't we, right from the very beginning, it really, in Genesis chapter 3. We recognize it's part of the curse of, of the fall, and, you know, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. With all the complexity of what these verses mean, but it brings tension between uh, um, men and women, between husband and wife, that spills over, obviously, into uh, fratricide in the next chapter with the death, uh, with the first murder. And we see that uh, the shedding of blood becomes uh, something that uh, marks the awfulness of the human condition. In Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, uh, God recognizes that, and He recognizes it as a a break against the image of God in humanity. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, shall their blood be shed for. In the image of God, God has made—this is after the fall, and God is appealing to the image of God in humanity uh, to uh, bring out the awfulness of uh, murder. And so, we recognize that the image of God remains, however broken, in humanity. And suffering enters the equation— And the value we put on other people changes so that it's often based on wealth, on power, on race, on beauty, on talent, on politics, on sexuality. And life becomes cheaper because of that. Both inside the womb and out of the womb, there's division and disrespect in community because the image of God is broken and because people no longer value one another on that basis. The, the basis on which we value people changes so that it becomes easier for us to devalue them. Our community today is often a pale reflection of the original image of God. However, it's disfigured and not destroyed. So, you should and I should in God's mercy, applaud um, and highlight what is good community in the society that we see around us and enable that to point people to a better community that there is in Christ. And we should reflect that better community as a transformed people, as a church of God. You shouldn't be afraid to participate in community as is seen in this world, even though it's shadowy, even though the motive for it is not the right motive, and it's not to glorify God if it is in a secular environment, you shouldn't be afraid to participate or to value it or to be engaged in it. You know, I I really like what the uh, Christians in sport kind of ideal is, that you don't set up lots of Christian football teams or Christian basketball teams but you go as a Christian into a secular basketball team or a secular football team or whatever sport it is or, or whatever community, if it's bowling or if it's knitting or flower arranging, whatever it might be, and you, you engage in that community because there, there's a reflection of God's image there in community. Now, it's imperfect and we recognize that, but we applaud what reflects the image, even though that image is tainted, whether it's individually or whether it's in community. And the same goes for the environment. It's clearly a battleground. We know from uh, part of what God says uh, in judgment on uh, the fall of man in verse 17, He says, because of you done this, cursed are you… Oh, sorry, that's the wrong verse. Um, Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you, and you shall eat… Uh, of the plants of the field. And there's this sense of, of which what was once in unity and where humanity was the vice regents of this uh, universe to care and to look after, that that has changed. And humanity has lost sight of that loving stewardship, and greed and self interest have taken over, whether that's in the creative world or the animal kingdom. Uh, the environment is often not seen as a gift, but something to use and abuse. Uh, to satisfy humanity's greed. It's there randomly. It's it's there by cosmic chance, and we can just use that. But there's also a reflection of our stewardship in much of what is happening to protect the environment. And we stand against the miserable inequality, the idolatry of profit at all costs— and a materialistic drive that will destroy the planet, the insatiable appetites of self-interest that crush the cries of sustainability. Now, we reject the fact that the environment and how—or we reject the idea that we can be the saviors of the environment, which is much of the philosophy of Of environmentalism, that we're not the saviors of our planet. The planet is God's creation. Uh, He alone can save it and can save us and can restore the image of God in it and through it. But, you know, we can say to Greta Thunberg and to David Attenborough, you know, we stand with you here. You know, stewardship's God's idea, it's not yours. Well, we wouldn't say that because that might seem a bit. smart-alecky. But, uh, you know, we we can't simply just ignore this important reality of being steward-bearers, dealing with the the consequences of greed and sin and rebellion against God, as it reveals itself in the destruction of God's glorious creation. Too often, I think, the churches and Christians have have naysayed it or dismissed as insignificant or unimportant. And that needs to change if we understand theology, if we understand God's Word, and if we understand who we are made in God's image. Because our image is being restored, um, and we recognize that. Romans 8 verse 29 uh, tells us that those who God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then Colossians 3.10 which uh, says don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practice, and we put on the new self which is being created in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And it's the whole reality that in Christ we are being renewed in God's image. And our attitude uh, to the environment, to God's world, and to ourselves and to others is influenced by that, surely, because all of it is a recreation in God's image. We're not to be thoughtless we're to be intentional stewards of all that God gifts us. With ourselves, we're to remember, as if you're a Christian this evening, that you're being recreated because He's redeemed you and loves you and loves me. And that means pride and shame have been dealt with by Christ, and that we shouldn't be proud Christians, nor should we think we're worthless people as Christians. We're not the center of the universe— but we're image bearers and we have great dignity and we're recreated in the ambassadorial role and we we are empowered to be like Jesus, to, to display the fruits of the Spirit we were praying about earlier. And just to finish with this emphasis on others, not just others in the church, but also particularly, can I say, others outside of the church. Recognize that we share a commonality with them in being image-bearers. Great old Scottish phrase, we're all Jock Tamsons, bairns. But there's a lot of theology in that. But we will challenge the foundations that separate us from them in their their understanding of what it means to be made in—or they wouldn't attribute it to be made in God's image, but some of the commonalities that we share— but it, it means two very important things in terms of recognizing that we are all, there's a commonality, even though we are being renewed and we recognize what's gone wrong. The first is equality. Uh, Galatians 3, 28 is uh, that great reminder to us of what is happening in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Jesus Christ. This, so, it's Paul is saying there's a reversal of inequality that has come about because of sin, and there's a reminder that uh, we are all image bearers of God, and in Christ that is revealing itself first and foremost in the Christian community, but also in the way we recognize others. So, it's a reversal of the inequality in gender, in race, in class, intelligence, and of measuring someone someone's worth by these external values. And we do it all the time, and we do it in the church, and we do it in the world in which we live. There's no place uh, in the transformation of our image-bearing through Christ for being phobic, for being sexist, for being racist, for being a snob, for being an inverted snob, for being an intellectual snob, for being classist, for finding your identity in any of these things. You should never come into God's house and say, I'm different from somebody else because I have a university education, they don't, or I come from this part of town, they don't. I went to that school. A school we know that happens in Edinburgh all the time. But that's not how it's to be in the Christian community. Nor is it to be in how we consider others. Yes, we recognize there's a difference in roles in life uh, that God gives, but we never suspect. Suppress or disdain, or look down on others. We are. Uh, we believe in equality. And we need to act it out in our lives. Um, and agree with those who speak about equality, even if the definitions are different. We agree that at, at a basic level, equality is a Christian principle. The church has no place to be imaging the world in its uh, views of others and uh, and, an inequitable vision of one another. There's a recapturing of something radical and revolutionary in the message of redemption. And we mustn't just leave it in the kind of vague spiritual realm that really doesn't affect our day-to-day living. It must be something that comes to the core of our being and says, I need to think of and treat others differently because my sinful heart chooses often to justify inequality because it means I'm better than others, even if we think we are better because of grace. So, inequality is one very powerful outworking of understanding the image of God. And so, also, therefore, is it's connected, uh, cousin, respect. James 3, verse 9, which was our text, uh, was one of our texts, uh, one of our readings earlier on, uh, picks that out. uh, James 3 and verse 9, it says, you know, with our… talking about the tongue, you know, the great dangerous weapon. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So, you know, James there pulls out this image of God theology to say we need to respect other people. And then also from First Peter 2, uh, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. That recognition of respect that C.S. Lewis says, no other person is ordinary everyone remains an image-bearer and are, are worthy of our respect in life. Think of how easy it is for me. I, I think of how easy it is for me, and maybe it is easy for you too, to disrespect people. Whether it's the way we judge them, the way we think about them, or as James challenges, the way we speak about them. It's easy to disrespect people and reject them because we recoil, maybe, from their rejection of God and the mess of sin in their lives. But we are to be different. And it's tough, but it's beautiful to recognize what it means, not only that we are being transformed by God in His image, but we recognize that we treat other people who are not Christians differently because they remain those who are image bearers of God. And that, re- that is reflected in how we personally deal with those we fundamentally de- disagree with. I- I'm not saying that we agree with everyone and it's all kind of like jelly and ice cream. And we recognize there's huge differences in our, uh, you know, basic philosophical standpoint and our, our faith and our, our understanding of the universe. But it's crucial that you learn and I learn how to fundamentally disagree with people respectfully and with love and with grace. And we respect them for God's sake, even though they may be immortal horrors, as it were, who needs Christ's love and forgiveness. More than anything, being in Christ enables us to love them. Are your shackles up? Oh, God says, love your enemies. Love those who despise you and who treat you badly And we shrug our shoulders and say, I never get an opportunity to share my faith. We will. Every time we live like this, I guarantee it we will, because this is not how the world thinks. We see it all the time just now, don't we, with identity politics. As we live out this transformational life that understands respects uh, and equality and the fruit of the Spirit, I guarantee people will ask questions. We will not need to manufacture opportunities to share our faith and wedge it in unnaturally into the conversation because it will come. The question is, will we answer? Or the question is, are we different? And that's a great challenge, isn't it? Amen.